Abdi and I have had many conversations um, just about life experiences, and um, I, I think what I'm going to do is basically turn the microphone over to Abdi and let him just talk about um, something that he wanted to share with everyone, and then I think the best is always when everyone participates, and, um, and that is fantastic because you all have a lot to say and a lot to participate and contribute. How are you? That's the problem right there. <laughs> Want to get to that for a second? Um, when we were talking about what we're going to talk about, when I was talking to Norma, is that better? A little better? Is that better? When I was talking to Norma about what we're going to talk about tonight, we've been talking about how we've been observing, definitely in the people that I work with on a daily level, a lot of people becoming dismantled in their lives. So things don't seem to be working. People's jobs seem to be coming apart, relationships, friendships, health issues. I've been a clinician for 30 years, so for me as a clinician, sometimes I don't know if it's just because of the kind of work that I do. But then I talk to other clinicians, and I talk to my other friends, and it seems for a lot of people things are coming up more than normal. So this idea of why these things are happening is because of just what happened. I ask you, how are you? That's our cultural response. Good, right? Now, take a deep breath. Close your eyes if you want. You don't have to for those of you who are very willful. Feel your feet. Feel your hands. Soften your stomach. No one's watching. You all tend to have really good postures here. Just relax your necks and let your chins come down a little bit. That gets you out of your head. Beautiful. So now I'm going to ask you, you can open your eyes if you want. How are you? How are you feeling? So you're here, maybe a little bit tired, maybe a little bit sad, maybe ecstatic, maybe jittery. Feels different than when I asked you, right? That was like three, four minutes ago. For most of you, would you agree that's different? That distance, this is more close to who you really are. That initial response is your idealized self the defend itself. We in this culture confuse who, for who we really are. We lie for that self, we horror ourselves for that self. We don't really know who this other part is. And unfortunately for our culture, spirituality has become another way to feed that false self. Right? So even when we meditate, for most of us, people use meditation techniques to disconnect from what we just did. So metta meditation, where you send compassion and love to other people, wonderful. But that can actually be used to feed that false self. 
Now the distance between these two seems to be, from what I perceive in my work, getting shorter, closer together, because we have to honor this. For most people, it takes pain to get closer to this part that we just talked about. We don't go here. We'll use whatever not to go here. Why? You guys have seen Facebook, right? Or, I mean, so Facebook is idealized self. That's that self. No one puts a picture of themselves with a couple of zits. I feel like shit. My lover left me. Lost my job today. It's always like, great. On the beach, looking good. That's our culture. You what? And? That makes you happy. The, the point is, we don't really reveal ourselves. I don't really, haven't looked at Norma's Facebook, but the point is we don't actually reveal this second, I asked you, how are you? That's rare for us to put that up on Facebook. It's, I'm not for or against Facebook. The point I'm trying to make is this idealized self, this part that's actually not who we are, who we think we are, is what culturally we idealize. And we all do that. Now, for most of us, unless we've been through a traumatic experience, we never touch this place, right? So we have an experience, you know, we have a divorce. I've been through it. You have a nervous breakdown. That guy is very different than the guy on Facebook, right? That's not this guy. That's this guy. But this guy doesn't really go on Facebook. But this guy with a smile is what all of us perpetuate all the time, right? So the planet's dying, but everything is okay. But it's not okay. Right? It's not just peak oil, it's peak soil, peak everything, but everything is okay. The unfortunate part is, and something I think about a lot is spirituality. We really need a new world word for spirituality, because spirituality is like religion. It's, it's got no essence anymore, you know, it's, it's lost. All this new agey stuff in our culture that perpetuates a supposed new way of being actually feeds this false self, right? I just, somebody just sent me this uh, Facebook link, hey, blah, 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 one did his 10-day meditation, check out this Facebook link. A 10-day sit is a very intimate thing. The reason you would post that on Facebook is because the idealized self hijacks that experience that can be something that's very powerful and says this. Now hopefully you come out of that a little bit more relaxed and less this. But as a clinician, it's mind-blowing to me how these very powerful spiritual practices are hijacked to make this idealized self-image even more powerful. You with me so far? Part of what I'm seeing in my practice, this dismantling that I'm talking about, is we have to divorce the old to marry the new. But really, I don't know those of you gay or straight, doesn't matter, who've been in relationships, who've had your heart ripped out, right? You don't do that willingly. It's not like, whoa, it's so great. I came home and my best friend is fucking my wife. It doesn't work that way. It's like, <sighs> that's what I'm seeing with people. That's what I'm seeing with a lot of people. The people who've done that work, and it's actually a lie to say that we've done that work, it gets done to us, and either we show up for it or we repress it, seem to be doing really well right now. A lot of opportunities opening up, things. The people who haven't been doing it, are kind of getting hammered. The people who willfully have been giving the middle finger to the soul are getting clobbered. Literally, I'm seeing people where in the span of a couple of weeks will go through a relationship breakup, lose a job, and will get some kind of financial hit. 
Now, I'm not a new agent guy, I'm not trying to sell you something, but sometimes things aren't coincidences, sometimes they are. This idealized self-image, to give an example of a person that I was working with just this last week. The, idea, the idealized self-image of this woman goes and signs up for this big spiritual retreat, spends a lot of money. This woman's a very sharp cookie. I personally didn't think she needed it, but we let her do her thing. A couple of weeks later, she comes and goes, I don't know if I need to do this thing. Okay, but I spent a fortune. Okay, I don't know if it's going to look good, because I'm not a quitter, and this woman is type A. I mean, it's one of these people that just single-handedly could like win the war. Well, okay, that way. It takes tremendous courage to stand up to the idealized self-image. So within a couple of weeks, she goes like, well, damn, I spent whatever it was, five, ten grand on this program, and I'm going to have to actually face these people that I said I'm going to do this thing with. I'm going to have to face my friends who I said I'm going to do this thing to, to actually be true to myself. For most of us, we don't have the courage to do that until we get pummeled. For most people, we will stick to something till it actually makes us sick. Because that idealized self-image, so, we, we confuse it with ourselves. Are you with me so far? Makes sense? So if I think I'm this shirt, and somebody wants to take this shirt, I'll put up a damn good fight. Part of the thing that I was just showing you by feeling your body and dropping in is to realize you're not this shirt. Now you can all nod your head, but you still think you're this shirt. It's an everyday practice to drop down and realize you're not this shirt. It's incredible when you do what I do, day in, day out for 30 days, uh, 30 years. I sit in a room about this size with people one-on-one. -on -one. And I will hear every and any kind of excuse where we all do not to face this part. I have this practice that when people come and I actually do this thing we just did. I ask people how they are, and yeah, great. How are you? And they might be crying or being angry within five or ten minutes. That's how disconnected we are. This culture now, because of its speed, that is even more. That space is even more. The gap is even more. And again, the most ironic thing is spiritual people, quote-unquote, seems to be even more disconnected. Because if you're running around doing drugs, you're like, you know what time it is. You're not really, you know you're not doing well. If you're doing your yoga every day, your tai chi every day, your meditation every day, we can actually use that for disconnection. Those of you who have kids who get hammered, that's probably one of the most honest things because you get that stuff ripped up in front of you in your face. Those of you who have friends who stand up to you, that's actually a probably good thing. For most of us, we actually don't have that. Questions so far? Why are practices like that disconnected? Yes, because, I, well, Tai Chi a lot less because Tai Chi forces you to be in the body. Things that force you to be in the body a lot less. But for example, let's take yoga. Tai Chi doesn't make your body as beautiful as yoga. Tai Chi generally tends to be something that people have more of a propensity for quietness to do. In this culture, things like, let's say, like yoga, Things like types of meditation, like meta meditation, is very popular now. You guys know meta med meditation, which is you send love to the world, and you send. It's a very beautiful practice. You're not really sitting with yourself. I might be really sad right now. 
and I'm going to sit there and send love to the world, and I love everyone. I don't really realize how sad I am. You know, I might be very angry right now. And very common thing for spiritual people is there's a lot of anger that gets repressed because the idealized self can be re the idealized self is the part that actually has to look good to the world. It smells like roses, even though there's a lot of shit underneath it. It smells like roses. So it perpetuates that smelling like roses. Now here's an interesting thing about the yoga thing that I can go on about. You know, in yoga tradition, there's eight branches. You have meditation, you have diet, blah, blah, blah. What is the biggest part? Pranayama, which is the breathing, very profound. What is the biggest thing that we consider in this culture as yoga? It's the, it's the physical part, because it makes you look beautiful. It's a very active thing that makes your body look a certain way. There's a lot of that in our culture. So that disconnection is very profound. So if you're working in a gym, you don't have an idea, I'm doing something spiritual. You're like, no, just lifting weights, this and that. When you're doing yoga, there's an arrogance that can come with that, which is very common, which is like, well, actually I have a spiritual practice. Right? So does that make sense? This piece about divorcing, the part that doesn't work anymore, that's actually what's going on. If you do it consciously, which I don't, I can honestly say I don't really see anybody doing it. We have to get down to our knees. There's so much help right now on a spiritual level, for lack of a better word, because things happen really quickly. So if you're willing to do that, and it's just an intention, I'm willing to remember who I am, if you make that intent. A lot easier. If you're not, you're going to get really hammered. You are getting hammered. And I don't mean that in the sort of like the end of the world type of stuff. The end of the world type of stuff, by the way. That's another thing with this idealized self-image, right? So, December 21st, 2012, remember that one? Whoa, nothing happened. What a bummer. Because the ego doesn't want to do the work. It wants the work to be done for it. So, whether you are waiting for rapture, or whether you're waiting for the Mayan calendar to say to you, why? We want stuff to blow up. Because we actually know how much work it is to do the work. So that whole thing that people were getting so amped up about. And it's unbelievable because it's like five months later than that. And I've had like six or seven people come and tell me, tell me about 2016. I, 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 don't even, I haven't even bothered to look what the hell that's about. It's incredible. It's incredible. Like that moved and then the goalpost keeps moving. Why? Because we'd rather have ourselves obliterated than put some kind of change into our lives. Questions? Answers? Huh? We'll get to that. Go ahead. Um, so, if we're, if we all have issues that um, need addressing, and sometimes we don't know what those issues are but um, we may be unhappy in a relationship and not even realize that the relationship is the issue because it's some comfortable place we found ourselves in. Or um, maybe we do. If, if, if something terrible happens to us and we have to deal with it, then we deal with it. But it's almost like creating something terrible to happen, some pain. Um, you know, why should people voluntarily want to create pain? What, what's the alternative route to solving this issue? So, the two questions, right? Like, what do we do about it? And then the question of, like, why do we... So, to get into that, everybody loves relationships because we all get hammered by them, so we'll get into that. So, let me back up here a second. You're a child. This is part of this 
self-idealized image starts, right? So your child, certain behaviors come up, and your parents don't like that. And they go, bad Abdi. Abdi learns really quickly that those behaviors aren't good. Bad whoever, Bobby, Joey, whoever's in this room, remember, you cannot examine that through your eyes. You're a person who's independent who can take care of themselves. So you have to really go back in your mind's eye the best as you can to remember how helpless, helpless you are as a six-month-old, nine-month-old, one-year-old. Your life is literally dependent on these people or your parents. Can, can we be with that a little bit, right? So, so every adult sitting in here, accomplished people, that's kind of hard to drop into, but you have to really go to that terror. So at that age, you start parceling yourself out. The good stuff that everybody wants, that's up here. The bad stuff gets repressed. Now, whatever is painful, let's say your mother or your father is really mean and they're an alcoholic. You can't survive that at that age, so you actually attach pleasure to it. And the only pleasure we really have access to at that age is your sexual slash erotic energy. So it actually becomes negative pleasure. That's sort of the term that's given to it. So the whole masochistic thing is negative pleasure. Does that make sense? Am I making that clear? So now what happens? You will go and seek partners who actually reflect that back to you. Right? So you will find they could be twin brothers or sisters and one doesn't have that issue and one's just totally mean and cutting. You are actually sexually connected to the one who's mean because A, it's familiar. B, unconsciously, that's how you're going to heal it. You're going to heal it. Your unconscious actually is attracted to it. So you have to go through that relationship as an adult to heal it. Your conscious mind is not privy to that information. Your conscious mind isn't like, wow, this man, this woman, you're just attracted sexually. The second you have sex with that person, you're totally in la-la land. You've all been in, that, in relationships, right? Like, you're with this person, two years later you're like, Jesus, that guy was nuts. That woman was crazy. Gary Strait. We've all had experiences, yes? Because the second you go in, you don't see it. Everything comes up. And in my experience, having been married 26 times, you usually don't realize your craziness and their craziness until about a year out. It's about a year, year later, you're just like, jeez, really, again? It doesn't matter how smart you are. So this stuff about the unconscious is really interesting because it's the unconscious and we all go, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you don't get it, it's unconscious. The only way it becomes conscious is by banging your head against it. That's the only way it becomes conscious. Part of the problem with this new agey stuff that we have right now, that it actually says that no, this is not part of it. This is the only way it works. Only way, you have to bang yourself and figure it out. If you want to see what your issues are, sit down and examine the people around you and the partners you've had. That's a mirror of what's wounded in you. The wild thing is, if your partner had a twin, and that twin didn't have those emotional issues, you would not be attracted to them. The sexual thing is really powerful. It's not just about sex. We think like, oh, this man's hot, that woman's hot. We're actually attracted to that because our unconscious wants to heal it. The problem is for most of us, we don't heal it. We keep repeating it and repeating it and repeating it. Now, everybody has a place where they're stuck. If you're lucky, it's one or two things in life, right? For some people, it's money. For some people, it's relationship. For some people, it's their health. 
But we have something. That's your work. On the soul level, that's your work without getting too like, airy-fairy about it. And we all have it. And there's no one way to solve it. But we always underestimate how unconscious we're around it. Now, to answer your question a little bit more, and to answer your question a little bit more, you have to sit down and feel the pain. This is something that's just a real bummer. I, I wish it was different. I wish you could buy some nectar, buy Abdi's green juice, and you will be totally healed, and six-pack Chopra, and Oprah. Nothing against these people. They've done a lot of good. They've done a lot of whack stuff. But we're perpetuating this myth. I mean, the planet needs help. I mean, I'm not telling you anything. I'm not here to sell you anything. But it's our internal work that will shift that. Everybody in this room has a piece for what's happening right now. That I know to be truth in my bones. It might be to do whatever. Raise a kid, write a book, make some amazingly non-toxic nail polish. It doesn't matter. Everybody here has something that will shift the planet if you go through this painful process. The part that we've sold this bill of goods is everybody tells us that we don't have to go through the pain. Impossible. Impossible. Questions? Comments? So once we go through the pain, mm -hmm. the next time around, mm -hmm. how can we tell if we're in denial or growing? Oh, such a great question. How do we know if we're in denial or if we're growing once we go through the pain? Are you, are you relating that to relationship or everything in general? I mean, I'd like it to be everything in general. But I mean, we're so good at lying to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Great question. We are. Yeah. And we tend to repeat. I mean, if the ego is that strong, Yes. And either we've grown through the pain, yes. or the next time around, it's the like yes. same pain, different circumstances. Yes, beautiful. Well, because it, it feels, well, here's the thing. So that's a really wonderful question. What I wrote here, drama and trauma. The drama leads to trauma because it's unconscious. So our unconsciousness leads to drama, and then the drama becomes traumatic. The next part was vulnerability and serenity. So we have to feel safe enough to be naked, and then that leads to serenity. So the first part is how traumatic or dramatic is your relationship or that situation that you're talking about. And here's another part that's really crazy. We get addicted to the pain. We love the pain. The pain actually becomes comfortable. So part of it is you have to not get bored with serenity. Right? Everybody's like, we love serenity. Bullshit. Come on. Are we with... Are we, are we, we're with this, right? Like, serenity is like boring until you get used to it. I was a junkie back in the day. And I remember not using drugs and not having a needle in my arm and sitting with dinner and being like, really? You losers sit around and do this? Like, have dinner? Like, you crazy? Like, this is so boring. It takes a long time to tolerate. From this state, oh, this is a great Friday night. To like actually sitting down and doing this. Everybody in this room has that somewhere. This energy. It could be your work. It could be worry. It could be freaking out about something. We love the drama. This whole rap that we love serenity, it's, I'm telling you, it's not true. Why? Because we actually feel alive. This feels alive. How many people here drink coffee? But why? Because it makes me But why? But why? Why do you drink coffee? Yeah, thank you. So, so, yeah, so it's, it's a little head. It's a little head. So the question is, where do we have those little heads? Coffee, yeah, one cup of coffee is not going to kill you. 
But that little hit can be so many places in life. That little hit can be somebody that has a pain in the ass in your life that you say yes to every day. Why do you say yes to? Because the idealized self-image is running you. Wait, hold on a second. Are you with me on that one? Yes. So we get addicted to that. You're like, yes, yes, yes. But actually it's not yes, 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 because how many times do we do that? That yes, yes, yes that you're doing is a part of that idealized self-image. It's like, it's, it's not, you have to let this sink in. I'm not picking on you, this is all of us, it's every, every person in this room. Go ahead. Well, my question was, how do you find that serenity? You give up the drugs. Oh, sure we do. Thinking is your biggest drug. Th think, no, but thinking is the biggest drug. Everybody here is an addict. The first way that we disconnect from our reality as children is thinking. That's the first drug that we use. Are you with me on that? So, the initial thing is, what are the things that we have at our disposal when we're very little? Pooing, pissing, those are two things that we become retentive with, like when we say someone's anal retentive. Like, I have a lot of compassion for anal freaks, like clean, clean freaks, because I realized one time, seeing people who have that, how frightened they were as kids. So when we use the term someone's anal, what does that mean? At a young age, the only thing we control is our anal sphincter. And since that's even to like two years of age, before that forms, we actually clench our butts. So you can see people that clench their butts. They were in so much terror at a young age. I mean, your heart goes out to someone like that. And then they get to the point where everything is like, so neat. That's just terror. Right? I mean, it's funny, but it's actually terror. Because they feel so unsafe. Not that you know, like that. Um, but, but that's what it is. It's sort of that energy. It's like, because it's terror. So the way we disconnect from that is thinking. So nobody in this room will spend more than a couple of minutes not thinking. I used to train people with meditation using biofeedback equipment. This stuff's called brainwave. So you basically connect people's brains to this machine and the machine doesn't lie. This state that we're all in is beta. That's thinking, right? The meditation state is alpha. It was amazing how many meditators, yogis, martial artists could not do it. They weren't doing it. They thought they were doing it. I tell people, are you meditating? I think I am. <laughs> no. So the first drug that we use is thinking. That is the first drug that we're on all the time. So we're all addicts. The addiction isn't just the hit of coffee or this or that. And try meditating and see how anxious you are. The reason we're thinking constantly because underneath it we're very anxious. Is everyone aware of how anxious they are all the time in this room? No. no you're not. Well, you, you're special, but besides you. So, but is there any time where you actually sit and not do anything? And what happens? No, when I try to meditate, it's horrifying. Well, me and you have talked about how hard it is. So, so you are aware. So you are aware of anxious. Not, not all day long, but you are aware. We've talked about how when you meditate. Me and Susan joke around, joke about she works a lot of spiritual people and teaching, and we joke about how, like, if you tell the truth about this stuff, nobody wants to do it. I really get why these hustlers hustle this stuff. Sometimes I think maybe they're undercover agents, because if you tell the truth, it's like, this is really hard, you're going to feel a lot of pain, you're going to have a fist up your butt, and that's not a good day. And then maybe if you do the work, you'll have some surrender. It doesn't sell, but that's a reality. That's a reality. So is everybody aware here how anxious they are, just on a daily level? That's your friend. If you make friends with that, that's half the battle. 
for me, I, it was in my 20s, I was like, oh my God, if my friend was like, you know, you're, you're anxious, I was like, and I was like, oh my God, that's what it is. The anxiety thing is really huge. Go ahead, your question. Is that anxiety learned, or is it the human condition? Beautiful question. Beautiful question. Um, everybody, before they die, should read this book called Denial of Death by Ernst Becker. So, he was this really brilliant psychologist who actually died of colon cancer before the book won the Pulitzer Prize at 47 or 43. And one part of it is exactly what he said. There's an existential fear of death that we all have. So a lot of the heroic journey that we go through, I'm a great healer, I'm a great businesswoman, designer, is to actually deny that death. That's one aspect of it, and we all do it. All these wars, all these sort of archetypes is that. So we want to deny it. The other part is learned. The other part is actually the childhood stuff, and it's our parents. It's, you know, four things. I mean, we're a healing generation, but just going back one generation is intense what people had to go through. So, both of those things. Now, those of you who know my work, I used to work with a lot of dying people in the 80s and 90s. So, before all these drugs, thank God, came out with AIDS, a lot of young kids were dying, and I was in my early 20s and working with people that were dying. And it was insane watching kids die, because I was 23 or something like that, and they were like, some of them were younger than me, some of them were like around my age. The brutality of that. So the brutality of like seeing someone die in this culture, I mean, I won't even get into just how fucked we are in terms of sexuality and people's families not talking to them because they thought they're gonna get, just like, I won't even get into that whole thing. But how freaked out people were about dying. How people wouldn't show up to people in the hospital, how people would actually treat people, how these people themselves were being felt like there was something wrong with them. And if you're in hospital settings, we spend out of the trillion or whatever dollars we spend on healthcare in, in this country, half of that is in the last 10 days of someone's life. You want to talk about anxiety about that? Half of that is on the last 7 to 10 days of someone's life. Who's going to die? Because death is seen as the enemy. So on that level, one practice that I do regularly, I still do it now as a 50-year-old guy, is I'll spend a couple of minutes every day in the middle of whatever I'm doing, usually something I enjoy. And I go, I'm just going to die right now. I'm going to have a heart attack right now. Something happens. What is that feeling? Boy, it puts things in perspective. Any of you do that? I'll do stuff like I'll be reading a favorite book and I'll put it down. But like, no, I can't finish this. You want to get your ego up in a... Be watching a movie, I'll walk away. I'll be wrenching on a motorcycle, I'll just put the tools on. It is so unbelievably frustrating, and that's how it is. That's how it is. Yes, I know of people who sleep and then they die. Rare. That whole thing that Tibetans are so into the bar, those days and how you die, that's some wise insight into the nature. So that's something I would say to you, it'd be a great thing to practice. If you take two things from tonight, besides drinking green juice, one is to actually sit five minutes, feel your body, whatever type of meditation you do, it doesn't like, all meditation is wonderful. I just find sitting and just check with yourself. You know, you're doing mindfulness, you're doing mantra, wonderful, but you can do mantra and not check with yourself. You can actually sit and then get up and not really know what's going on with you. Just sit. Just sit. We love to manipulate reality because of this anxiety. We're master manipulators here. 
Right? So that idealized self-image, that guy on Facebook, hi, heavenly great done. That man or woman also will lie, cheat, screw people over for whatever. That's all of us. That's not someone outside. Now, the third thing I would say to you that I want to leave you with tonight. If you're having a hard time with people, start letting people go. One thing I'm seeing in my own life, find your tribe. Find out who your tribe is. If you're bitching about someone more than two or three times, that's not your tribe. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to do anything. How many of you today did something you didn't want to do? Email, phone call. That's the idealized self-image. That's us whoring ourselves for this image that's not even us. Because I want people to think this gray shirt is really like a cool dude. Like, Actually, what do you need, man? As opposed to this guy being like, you know, I don't really want to have this conversation for the 25th time. I already told you this. So, lighten your load. The things that need to go, go. So, I see there's two kinds of pain. Yes. And I think that to say that, this sounds crazy, but that pain is painful, mm-hmm. is misrepresenting it in a sense. You know, and I was thinking like yesterday morning I woke up just um, crying. I was mm-hmm. just crying. I woke up, I was like, somebody called me and said, how are you doing? I have a rule with my friends that we, we took the word fine out of our language. We never use the word fine. It's like, who's right. fine? It's, right. it's a crazy word. So, so that's I'm crying. I'm sad. Why is it? Right. I don't know. I don't know why I'm sad. But the moment it was over, which, you know, I got dressed, started getting dressed and moving on to my day, it was such a joy, such a joy in there that I allowed myself that expression, even though the person on the other side of the phone was wanting to, you know, and I was like, don't fix me. <laughs> I'm cool. I'm fine. So isn't there really, you know, it, it's almost like, don't we need a new word for pain in a sense? Well, pain is your friend. When I used to race motorcycles and fall down and break shit every week, we had a saying, pain is your friend. Because pain was telling you how far you're pushing, what you need to learn and what not to do on a track. So pain is your friend. That's my mantra. Now, you brought up a great point. Three things we do with emotions in this culture. We press them. Everything's fine. Act them out. Feel them, which is what you're talking about. Rarely do we feel our emotions. We repress them or we act them out. So what's feeling? Exactly that. I wake up. I'm just really sad today. I don't have to figure out why because that's actually a way of trying to repress it. Oh, because when I was three years old, my mom dropped me on my head. That might be useful at some point. Feeling it burns it. Feeling it burns it up. One of the problems with the meditation techniques that we do is it actually doesn't burn up the emotions because we're repressing it. You with me on that one? So you're doing a meta, uh, and I don't know why I'm picking on that, that's a very wonderful thing. But if you're, if you're an open-hearted person, like most people in this room are, you don't really need to be doing that. Your problem is because you're doing that too much. I freaking sit in the subway, man, I feel everyone's pain. I do not need to be doing meta. I need to be beating the hell out of a punching bag, which is what I do. I do not need to be like feeling more pain. Oh, well, while I'm on that, let me just give up my little like pissed off thing with this Buddhist thing. This little bodhisattva thing. Like, really? Like, I'll be the last person while everybody else is enlightened and I'll become enlightened. It's like, dude, the second you wake up, everyone's awake. What the fuck is that about? Like, what is this whole thing? These egomaniacal things that maybe made sense 2,000 years ago and people can pervade them, you know, parrot 84,000 verses of Buddha. 
What does that mean? We are such egomaniacs in this culture. We're so shut down. We use everything to perpetuate this idealized self. So going back to this thing, feel the pain. But how many people feel the pain? Because sometimes it also becomes a shtick, and you can actually get stuck in the pain. Right? So part of acting out is that whole thing. But you said a beautiful thing. No one needs fixing. But in my experience, most people are trying to fix things. Themselves or other people. We're all control freaks. Pardon? Because, well, here's the thing where Carl Jung was so brilliant about, right? The projection thing is really big. We project aspects of ourselves that we do not accept onto other people and then we want to fix them. I've done that my whole life in my relationships. Aspects of my mother that I couldn't fix, I would try to fix in friends and women in my life until I realized it's kind of a losing project because two things happen. A, it'll never work, and thank God it'll never work because if it would work, it would just blow your circuitry out because you would think you're the divine. We don't realize we're not source. We're just not even connected to source. We are little containers that carry source. You with me on that? So one of the biggest problems with fixing people is we actually act like we're source. The other problem is the other person will always destroy you because you're saying to them you're their source. So it never works out. So your point on that is taken. But the feeling thing is really huge. Yes? On a, on a relationship with pain, and pain is my friend, and presumably that goes with fear as well. Yes. Um, isn't, it, isn't part of it changing your relationship with those emotions? Beautiful. Well, that's what she was saying. I mean, absolutely. We, by pushing things away, you make them bigger. So when you're two years old, something that scares you might be here. Then, as an adult, and you're five, nine, that thing is here. But by repressing it, it's always here. So your relationship is always like, this thing is so big, this thing is so big. That's repression. The second you kind of stand up, you're like, well, it's here, I gotta make friends with it. It loses its connection with you. But this is where the negative pleasure comes in. We actually have a connection with these negative things. So these are just words. But you have to really go inside of yourself and see what is the masochistic thing in you? What do you repeat in relationships? Right? You might really have an amazing relationship with your partner. Care is straight. But you might really get crazy bosses over and over. Or you might really get crazy secretaries over and over. Or you might really get crazy milkmen over and over. There's somewhere in our lives where these patterns kind of creep in. And you have to ask yourself, one time is random. Nine times is not random. And then that's where that energy goes. And the fear thing, it's amazing because we're all so, so very afraid. We're all so, so very afraid of everything. Not just, we're afraid of everything. This idealized self, I mean, unless someone is here really dealt with terminal illness, some of you might have, um, these are just words. But most people are totally motivated by abject terror of everything. And it doesn't matter. You know, I've seen people who had nothing, and 30 years later they're worth $300 million. Abject terror. I've seen people who had that money and now they have it. It doesn't, it's not, it's totally not connected to what's going on outside. Why do we wish to be fearless? Because if we wish to be fearless, it means 
then that we're without hope, that we are without possibility of change in ourselves, that it means that there's no place to innovate or go from there. And I couldn't decide if I thought it was the most ridiculous thing I heard, or it was kind of brilliant. You take that one. <laughs> Uh, I think fear is important. Uh, I think it's important to um, to want to get past something or to go beyond it. Um, and there there are certain guideposts in life that we don't set up, but fear is one of those. And fear can be imagined. Fear can be self-imposed. It can be real. But I think, um, in a way, it can be a motivator. And I personally am frightened every time I do something new, but that's also part of the excitement of it. If I wasn't, I'm not sure, um, I, I'm not sure about how important the outcome would be. And becoming less afraid um, is a sense of maturity in a way. So I think there's always going to be something we're afraid of, but graduating beyond it and becoming less afraid of what you thought you were afraid of is the accomplishment in my mind. So that's on a human level. If we're talking about absolute, so one thing when we start talking about these things, it's very important to talk about what level we're talking about. Fear denotes that there's something else in a room. If you're in your apartment and you've looked around, there's no one there, you're not going to be afraid, correct? Right? So, when are you going to be afraid? When you think you hear something, you, you might hear someone. So fear is because you have this feeling there's another. Part of this meditation practice is to actually connect you with source. So on that level, the fear actually drops when you're sitting, because there is nothing. It's all you, but not all you, the ego. It's all the hand that perpetuates this motion. So part of that fear thing, too, is to actually sit and connect with the Absolute. So these are intellectual concepts, you know? It's very interesting, those of you who've done shamanic journeys, like people are like, I want to know myself, I want to know myself, I want to know the Divine, and then they drink this stuff, and you're like, oh my God, stop! Because that's an intellectual concept. You're like, I want to know, yeah, it's so cool. Like, you and the Divine are not going to be hanging out together because you're not going to be there when she's there. Just a little note there. To self. So part of the fear thing too is not about being fearless. You know, the archetype of this culture is the cowboy, the cowgirl, where we're fearless. It's crazy. Fear has a function. If you're run by it, it doesn't have a function, but it has a function. So sometimes these things of fearlessness and like to me it's like, I mean I'm with you on that one, that there are boundaries that we push against, but it's there for a reason, evolutionally speaking. Don't kill yourself. You know, people are like totally fearless. Men and women that I've met, it's just by the grace of the divine that they're not dead. Because there's no boundary there. But we have to be careful. These are like interesting things. But what do they really apply to our everyday spiritual life? At some point, they're just masturbation. You know, these concepts. Not what you're talking about, but these things. It's like we can again say these things. But chop wood, carry water. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. What do you need to do every day to keep this thing going? Like, how many people actually sit every day and have like a meditation practice, 10-15 minutes every day? How many of you here have that? Beautiful. Beautiful. Most important thing. I mean, I know you know that if you're doing it, but it is the most important thing. Why don't we do it? The anxiety. We don't want to give up the drugs. 
We don't want to give up the pain. We're really attached to this stuff. Again, these are just words. As someone who's done it in relationships, you know, I've done a lot of work on myself. This stuff's unconscious. It doesn't matter. You're doing it like a third time. And you're like, Jesus, really? You're like 20, 30, 40. What? That's how it is? Till you break through it. You talked about your experience with people because you're working the energy field of change in the field itself and the acceleration that's going on. I think it's like acceleration of information. It's happening faster and faster and we have more devices than ever. And there's more stuff to do than we ever had. So the to-do list is becoming accelerated and um, it, it puts that pressure on us. I want to talk a little bit about that because I think that's a great point. So, any biological field, a lake, human body, changes according to how much information is inside of it. Right? So you have a lake, and it will sort of self-correct to a certain level. Then you add more than 3%, 5% of oxygen or nitrogen, and it will do all kinds of things. Part of what's happening now from my perspective in energy is the amount of energy that's in the system. So, an average person 10 years ago would read more in a Sunday time than somebody 200 years ago read in their whole lifetime. That's some profound, profound stuff. You know, I used to work with doulas and midwives and the OBGYN helping people give birth. And it's wild watching what's going on with children. Whereas like 20 years ago even, 25 years ago, these kids were kind of coming in as a blob of meat. And then all of a sudden, like 10 years ago, you're kind of seeing, they're kind of like, have a little bit more neck control, a little bit of more eye focus, you're going like, holy shit. And then now they're sort of like, <laughs> that's evolutionary change. It's version 2.0, I mean, there's something really going on that's not just whether you eat tofu or not. There's something really going on. We are evolving. You know, we keep in our mind, everything's the same. Like, no, these, these beings are different. That is exactly, from my perspective, I'm in agreement with you, is the amount of information that's in the system. There's a lot more information in the system. Now, going back to what we were talking about, there's two things that's happening. One of the things is, if you're willing to change, profound, things are happening very quickly. Literally something that would take me with somebody else to do over 10, 15 years, people are doing a matter of months. That's one thing that's amazing. Vice versa, the joke that I make is before you had the police come and knock on your door, give you a summons, then with a little knock, and then after a while it would be like, coming there with three guys, not like a SWAT team. It's like, you need to change, man. It's like that. So that's the other part of this whole thing. If things feel intense, it's because things are intense. Our souls are beckoning us to wake up. All there is to it. Very simple. You don't have to change anything. You don't need to use coconut oil instead of olive oil. It doesn't matter what you... Just say yes. So that's another thing. Just say yes. Remember Nancy Reagan? Just say no. Just, just say yo. Just say yes. That's a very powerful thing. Yes. We all need each other. Sure. And for, for everyone is different, right? For everyone is different. I mean, the alone thing, well, that's an interesting word, right? Alone and all one. I love that thing about the word alone. Alone is one version of it, but if you go to all one, which is really what alone is, it's, then you're not alone. We all need other people. Yes. But sometimes people bang their head hard enough to crack open. Somebody needs someone to hit you in the head with a hammer. 
It just depends. But if you're saying yes on some level, for everyone that I've seen change, something in their life made them say yes. And something ripped them wide open. So we don't know what's good for us. You know, uh, the founder of the Baha'i Faith, Baha'i Faith, I don't know if you're aware of it. Um, check this guy out, he's a pretty cool guy. He used to say, I'm very sorry for your suffering, but I'm so happy that you're suffering. Because your suffering is going to wake you up. And again, it's so like nice when your partner left you and you're sitting there bleeding from your heart. You're not like, well, thank you so much for this beautiful gift you gave me. You're like, I'm going to kill you. But it's that. So to your question, suffering is again what knocks on a door. We can wax poetic about it, you know. Rumi had this great line. He would say, we're chickpeas. And life, or the divine, is this ladle. Is that how you say it in English? And it's just whacking you on the head to be soft. It's kind of like that. I mean, I'm talking to wise vets in here, right? It's your experience. But we don't want it to be like that. And the spiritual movement is definitely not selling it as that. You know, you can kind of like breathe your way through it and smile and run through the field with lilies and uh, burning house, third degree burns. Questions? Anybody have any questions? Uh, I, I'd like to talk a little bit more about, um, yes, we make change when we feel pain and, um, and it's uncomfortable, but we do it. What... What can we do to help us become aware of what is really causing the pain? Sometimes it's, well, as you know, as you just said, it's so comfortable but miserable at the same time that we don't know how to define it. So what we do need help in a way. What, what do you suggest? Oh, I can't. I mean, I'm arrogant. I'm not that arrogant. You know, you know what your thing is. You have to really ask. I mean, this is one thing that I know to be true. If you ask yourself, you'll be shown. Like this whole thing about the master appears when you're ready, that shit's real. I mean, it really is. And you won't if you're not ready. You ask. I mean, every night before you go to bed, ask. What's going on here? Show me. To be ready for the answer. There's one thing to live your life blindly when you don't know something is off. There's another when you get shown and then you don't do it. That's when you get plumbed. I'm not saying not to scare you, just, you know, be conscious. I did this thing years ago, I was in India, I was like, burn away whatever doesn't serve me. I was in Ramana Maharshi's ashram, you get all blissed out on, you know, cat was heavy, man, you get all blissed out on love, you're like, yeah, man, take it away. Three months later, my wife was like, ciao, see you later, and uh, it was brutal. It just like cracked me open, I mean, I had a nervous breakdown, it wasn't fun. So then I made the intention of like, just a little bit more gently, please, like, None of that, like, let's not do whatever, like, do it, but just, like, there's a person here who would like to keep that intact. Have compassion, but ask. And always make room for your humanity. The one thing I wanted to say to everyone here tonight, don't use it as a cop-out, make room for your humanity. Because we're all addicted to perfection. This is what's killing all of us. We're addicted to perfection. We all got shit and it all smells. If you can accept that, it makes your journey a lot easier. That's idealized self-image, you won't have as much control over you. Every person in here. And for all of us, this spiritual work isn't gonna make it shinier or less smelly. It's just gonna make you make peace with it. That's a really hard one. Because what the spiritual community is selling us, I'm talking about the stuff out here, is that it's gonna make the stuff go away or it's gonna make it smell good. And yes, on one level, it can become 
stuff that you put on the ground and flowers come out of it, it's still going to smell like shit. So make room for humanity. Part of this whole thing is we don't want to be human. We're all deeply flawed. If you can accept that, it makes everything else a lot easier. So that whole Facebook thing is we're just going to push that stuff away. And actually the beauty is the flaws. This is the crazy part. When you start accepting that, you are beautiful because of what you push against. Going back to what you're saying about fear. This is even close to what you're asking me. I'm just going up here. <laughs> I want help. I'm asking okay. for help. Okay. So you right. said Go so ahead. if you if you ask for if you ask for help, um, or if you pray, whatever it is that you do that connects you to setting intent. Setting an intention. Yeah. And then um, I remember after my mother died, for some reason I finally connected with um, kind of seeing that I was getting information. And I and I probably have been getting information all along, but um, there were things that were so obvious that it stopped me in my tracks and I started to pay attention to it. And I know my mother had something to do with it. Um, they all kind of had her fingerprints on them. And since then, I'm more aware of... Um, of information that I, that I get, and, and I'm really happy for it, but it actually took my mother's death to make me stop in my tracks and not take for granted something that could have happened I didn't notice, but then all of a sudden notice it and use the information. So now you're... you're this is who you are now. You, you've had this situation. Can I you see dead people. So, so I'm not, I was working my way to that. So I'm just, I don't see dead people. Yeah, you do. Very much. But I do. But Liar. I do feel, I, I feel that I have a sense that I am definitely getting information from my mother, maybe from yeah. elsewhere. What got you into finally, how did this start happening for you? Well, let's, before we get into that, so one thing that's actually really amazing, now the veil seems to be very thin. The veil between the other and this side is very thin. That's one thing I've noticed these last couple of years. So we have some big psychics here. Would you agree, the veil? Yes. Yeah. So, so the veil is really, really thin right now. So, so it's actually there, the information. Here's the thing. It's like that Rumi poem. We're drowning in water, but we're actually dying of thirst. It's not like you have to look for it. These freaking people are screaming at us. We were just like, blah, 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 help, blah, blah, blah. Just stop doing that. Just listen. The help is there all the time. It's not like you make that intention. Stop not listening. This sounds like so simple. It's actually that. One thing that I notice in all of our lives is we don't want to listen. We're not, we pay lip service to the divine feminine. We pay lip service, all of us, every person. All you sincere seekers, all of myself, we pay lip service till something happens and we're like, it's time now. We have set, from my experience, a group alarm clock for this time period. Anything these minds are on about, I don't, that thing seems to be true. We have set this alarm clock, that's why everybody's sitting in this room in here. We all have a piece of information for everybody else, just sitting in this room. I'm sitting here making monkey sounds, you might agree, disagree. There is a community of energy that's being shared right now. Everyone's downloading on everybody else. Just feel it. Just listen. 
Go home tonight and pay attention to your dreams. We all carry a piece of the puzzle. Stop saying no. Now, if you're open, yes, I'm a big proponent of therapy. But also to treat people who've been in therapy 20 years and nothing changed. You know, I treat someone who's been in Freud analysis for 25 years, put two needles in them, they have a full-on breakdown. Because 20 years they used that specific technique to push the pain away. Now, was that a waste? No, because they will be able to totally use all that energy because they have the mindset, the framework to shift it. Whatever it is, go and try things. I'm a big proponent of body work. Rolfing, deep tissue body work, releases pain out of your body. A lot of this stuff stuck in our fascia. I'm a big fan of shamanic work. Some of this stuff is ancestral. Half the stuff we carry is not even ours. It's our genetic lineage. This stuff is very, very real. Some of this stuff is just emotional. I'm sure some of you have been reading the research that's come out recently. People can adopt children who are adopted and they will come into your genetic lineage and pick up the illnesses of your genetic lineage even though they are different than you in terms of genetics. This is like wild stuff. So what does this mean? When the natives talk about you go back seven generations where you don't clean your shit, that's real. Clean that up for yourself. And what's mine? What's my grandmother's? What's my grandfather's? So you're living in New York City, man. There is no excuse not to be getting the work. There's so much available right there. There's so much amazing people in this city, so many amazing healers. So how, how can we, back to my question, how can we be aware of messages? Like we pray for it, we meditate on it, we, we look for in answers and, and help. How stop can looking, we, stop listening. Start, start, start listening. listening. The looking is a part of the now. So, so how, if this, this a series of events happened in your life yes. where you're seeing beyond what we see, you, you have the ability to see beyond what we see. I What's just, the e everybody can do it. I, for me, it was a burning desire. <clears throat> I, I don't think it's anything special. We all have gifts, right? If you have a certain physique, you can be a better runner, but we can all do it. We might not all be like 6'9 and play basketball. Everybody can go shoot some hoops. And I've met a lot of guys in my high school killer basketball players. So it's not, it's how interested you are in it. For me, it was everything I ran in my life since I was little. Why? Because I was in a lot of pain. It wasn't any like spiritual thing, although it was on some level, it was pain. I wanted to understand. So when I was watching a lot of these men that I loved who were dying of AIDS, it really like put me to the other side. At some point I was like, okay, we gotta stop this thing. I do see dead people. I gotta pay my bills. This thing is not working too well because I'll be in the hospital really soon. So for me it had to be a point of like, this is good enough. The one thing about that is you actually lose your fear of death because you really know for real this stuff. <laughs> goes back and forth. But everybody in here has some understanding of that, right? It's not, I'm not a religious person, it's just what I see as fact. If you're interested, you can do it. How interested are you? How many hours do people in here sit, read a book, or watch TV? Or something you love to do? Make art. How many, how many hours? A couple hours a day? Right? So, spend an hour of that pursuing this stuff. But this stuff can also be very dangerous. Because me and my sister, they laugh about it all the time. We know a lot of people who are, do this stuff for a living. They're nuts. Traditionally, shamans are nuts. Traditionally, shamans sit outside the village. They're not people you bring home to dinner to mom and dad. And they're like, oh, 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 you know, they're not. So there is this piece where, like, what are we seeking? It can be another way of getting high. What kind of drugs do you want to do? So this is the thing, too. You have to have feet in both worlds. You know? It's as impressive to pay your bills doing work that has integrity in it 
as it is talking to the dead. I'll be heading over there pretty soon. I want to also be here. One of the biggest things that I realized working with dying people is like they haven't been doing what they want to do. You know, as someone who's a caretaker, that's just my sort of shit. When I practice the dying thing, I'm just like, I don't really want to return this email right now. I don't never going to return this email. If I don't do it, I'll return that email and be pissed. I don't really want to return that phone call. It's not like a that energy, just like, wow, this is what this part of me sees. So in our culture, it can become another way of getting high. But if you're interested, it's what Ramakrishna used to say. If you're really interested in the divine, run after it like someone whose hair is on fire looking for a lake. It's a different energy than like, uh-uh, uh-uh. Whoa! That's the energy. Run after it. I got no room for seeking. I was in India, sitting with one of the most profound, enlightened people that I considered the way, whatever that word means, but this cat had some answers. And people were sitting there at lunchtime, coming out and saying, oh, you know, Babaji, Papaji is going to be in the next village next week, man. We got to go check that out. And I was like, holy shit. Everybody's been seeking for so many lifetimes that now we're actually hooked on seeking. We don't want to know. Seeking is a drug. At some point, you got to stop seeking and start living. Seeking is another shtick. There's a moment for it. There's a time for everything, right? At some point, everybody in this room was 15 and 18. But it comes to a point where you give that up and you go into adulthood. There's a point you give stuff up. Seeking is something that has to be given up at some point. Because you are that you seek. So to look for it, at some point, is like, okay, let me just sit and have this experience right now. It becomes another way to hide. This is the amazing thing about this energy. It's so slippery. This whole shtick of billions of dollars in this country with this new agey stuff is that. Is this addiction to seeking. So yes, if you sit long enough, but also part of it is like this part of the game. Part of the game is forgetfulness. Second you start remembering your true nature, things lose their flavor. Those of you in this room who had no money at some point and have enough money now, you remember that buying a candy or having a hundred dollar meal at some point was like, whoa, when you had no money. Now you can have ten of them, it loses its thing, and you can have a thousand of them, it even loses it more. There is this part of the puzzle where the ego doesn't want to find because it knows once it finds it, if you're everything, then what do you care? All the games, all the things that are so wonderful here is because you're limited. You with me on that one? Um... Do any of you, have any of you had um, manifested uh, anything that you really felt you wanted to do? I mean, I, I hear people talk more about um, that they really want to do something or they want to accomplish something or they want to bring themselves to a better place. And they literally think about it and 
have the intention of doing it and, and are finding that also happening more. I mean, we talked about this is, this is really a very challenging time. We're all stressed in different ways and feeling an accelerated anxiety. But I think there's also the ability to create positive, too. I think that it, there seems to be more of that also. Um, and I, I don't know if it's just the people I talk to, but people are talking about um, thinking about something and really wanting to make it happen. And then things start to happen to take them there. Have any of you been finding that? Yes, like a big yes. Yes, accelerate. Yes, accelerate. Yeah. Well, because limitations are lifted, right? I mean, first of all, everything is about intention, right? So this this was someone's idea. It was an intention, and then out of the intention gets made. So our intention is getting stronger. But it's just like any kind of sport. You look at motorcycle racing, and look at basketball. People are doing things. So when everybody raises that bar, then everybody goes like, "Wow, that's possible," right? So there is that piece going on too. Our intentions are getting, we're getting more open to what's possible. I'm all for that manifesting thing, but it's also very tricky because we do live in this limited world. We do live in this finite world. So I'm not trying to be a bummer here. So we have to be really open to that. What Pardon? What finite world? Yeah. Well, you want to define that? You know, I don't think, I, I like you to define that. I don't see anything finite about the world at all. So let's see. How? Well, actually, I disagree with you profoundly there, because that's a concept, right? Me and you might be 50 years old. We are going to die 30 years, 40 years. It's finite. It's not infinite. Science... You turn around the length of our life, maybe finite. Well, what's in the world is finite. The quality of air is finite. The quality of water is finite. People starving around the world, it's finite. There, there is... You see, this is the thing about this new agey stuff, right? It's... I hear what you're saying on a higher level. What level are we talking about? Right? I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I really honor your viewpoint. But I see a lot of people who suffer because they think they're not manifesting and they think there's something wrong with them. They think that they haven't mastered some technique to manifest. So I totally agree. I've had no money. I've learned business things. I've had friends help me. I make more money. I really prefer not being starving by far. But it's a finite world. If you have a billion Chinese and a billion Indians trying to live like Americans, is that finite or not finite? I'm open to the possibility of not being finite, but is it finite or not finite? If you can't breathe the air in any city in India or in Beijing where you walk in for two seconds, is it finite or not finite? It, it's up to, I mean, I'm asking you. Do you think it's finite or do you think it's not finite? So there's elements that's not finite. Who, who your soul is is infinite. But to confuse that with this realm, I think it's part of the problem with what's going on. We are, we are coming into peak everything. It's not just peak oil. The top soil is disappearing. Now, hopefully I'll be proved wrong. Hopefully science will do some magical thing. But certainly it doesn't seem like that sitting here right now. We'll find out. And I'd love to be proved wrong. But this is where I kind of like bang my head. I'm like, because I used to feel that. And on a higher level is true. Nothing is born, nothing dies. Second law, law of thermodynamics, many have talked about that. But where is it finite? Is it going to be finite? We'll see. Are the food sources finite? We'll see. Is it possible that science can pull something out of its butt? I, absolutely. Absolutely. 
But certainly I think to not deal with the fact that we're making a mess out of this whole thing with that idea, that can be tricky. You come from a pure place. I don't think that's the experience for a lot of people. Because you're talking about things outside yourself, and we all get concerned with stuff outside ourselves. If we look inside and deal with our own stuff, Oh, we're in agreement there. But nothing is going to happen if we don't go inside. Oh, I'm, we're, we're, we're totally in agreement there. But my point is, we can go inside, and this is the part where the New Age stuff sells bullshit. I can go inside and die of cancer tomorrow. And I see that every day. So what gets sold to me is, as someone who deals with sick people all the time, that person that goes inside and finds their truth and still dies, they see themselves as a failure. Because what we're being sold is, if you're touching the infinite, that's going to cure everything. That's going to be all okay. This planet actually might die, or the planet won't die, the people on it might die, and there might be a group awakening. That's infinite. But the ego thinks, when you use those words, the ego actually thinks, oh, infinite? Oh, forever? That's what I see as a clinician. So, depends how we define those words. Yes? Sure. Sure. But maybe it's just both. But that, what, is that, what does that have to do with infinity? Because even spontaneous healing, you're still going to die at 100 or 90 or whatever. That You're talking about outside of reality. I see that every day. You're talking about, there's a mass hypnosis going on here. The mass hypnosis is, this is how things are. The second you step out of it, there is infinite possibility. But it's still in a finite world. Are we talking about spirit, or are we talking about personality? The ego wants to believe, what you're saying is you're saying from a spiritual place. I'm with you on everything you said. As the body-mind-ego, this thing has a limitation. Now here's a powerful thing. We talk about vasanas, body-mind tendencies that get passed on from lifetime to lifetime. Those are body-mind tendencies, that's not abdi. This abdi thing here is a bunch of neurons, bunch of body-mind memories from his ancestors, that's not really Abdi's ancestors, my father, and part of it my own soul's bullshit and strengths, vasanas. But is that infinite on that level? If Abdi's sitting here, this guy going blah blah blah, thinks is infinite, boy, he's going to be rude awakening. When I go out, I get run over by a bus. So this is very important. This thing. Go ahead. You know, I just want to loop this back, though, to Norman's original um, discussion about the intention. Remember a couple years ago, the secret was like the hottest yes. thing, and, and it was all that energy, and, and yes. you know, so, what's the goal? Well, you define your goal, but my goal is to wake up from who I think I am, to have more serenity. The so peace. Peace, for me. But different goals, like what Norma's saying, there are people who really, their thing is they got to sit down and manifest $100 million, and that's their life goal. Great. Somebody's really to live 150 years. There are people who do that. Great. That's really wonderful. But the secret, how, what was that about? That's like, to me, my pet peeve. Because what was he talking to the secret? The secret was talking to the ego. You can manifest whatever you want. That's where, what you're saying is true. We're, we're, we're on the same page here on spirit. But are you going to have a billion people who are going to manifest Rolls Royces and Benzes? And that's what the secret was about. You know, but, but you, you asked for, like your hair was on fire, the ability to to be able to see things that yes. you can see. Yes. Now you can see them. Great. Yes. That's just one city. There's plenty of others. Great. But, uh, yeah, but I mean, I, I, you're talking about limitless. You're talking about infinity. I'm talking about... We're in agreement there. See, this is the, this is the problem. Are we talking about spirit or are we talking about personality? Okay, so, so when I was in high school, I was an environmental science kid. And I studied. They said at the time there was only 
1995, we're going to run out of natural gas. I remember. In 2005, there's going to be no oil. 2020, no more coal. We were fucked. Now look what's going on. No one's even talking about that we're going to run out ever. So what's happening? You know, they're, they're not talking about thought were limits to growth, bumped into fuller spaceship birth and all this stuff. Oh, I actually disagree with you. Let's talk in two years. Let's talk two to four years. Look at the weather stuff. We'll talk, I mean, look, I'm not a doomsayer. I'm, I'm open to whatever. I don't want to get into this discussion. But to think that this is going to be infinite the way things are. Go ahead. You mentioned earlier about how our time was so fragmented, how we tend to fragment ourselves. At the same time, you also mentioned in the talk, you've seen evolution in children. You've seen also. person today in one hour can read more than someone put in a lifetime previously. So my question is, with all of this incredibly heightened level of energy and information, don't we also have the requisite heightened ability to connect? Very much so. You're writing it. I'm writing it. Everybody in this room is writing it. It's not pre-written. We're writing what we do with that. Right? We are writing that. On one level, it's amazing. It's sort of what Tommy's saying. It's like amazing what's going on. You know, even all the crazy stuff that's happening, it's amazing how connected people are. And it's what we do with it. But at the same time, too, we all walk around the street and we also use these technologies to disconnect. At the same time, so it's up to us. We're writing that. I mean, this is one thing that's really important for us to take responsibility. That's what this whole talk's about at the bottom end of the day. These are interesting concepts. It's infinite. It's not infinite. It's interesting. But what do we do with this? What do we make with what's given to us right now? It's not pre-written. So your life today, what you do with yourself today and tonight and tomorrow will write part of that history. Same with me, same with everyone in this room. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think that um, what you're saying is absolutely true. And I, I, I think that the technology and all that we're able to do um, in this evolution, I mean, we keep... As you say, every time I see a little baby now or a young child, I think about you and how this kid, these kids, I mean, your grandchildren, all they're, they're, they're brilliant. They're out of control brilliant. And how do they get that way? I mean, uh, they're going to be creating, they're going to make Steve Jobs look like, you know, just he did this little toy thing. I mean, there's a lot, a lot that we can expect that's coming. I was just hearing on the news that. Um, car driverless cars finally I don't drive I'm so excited are gonna are gonna be part of the part, part of our world that, that that people who I mean but all of these things will be happening but I think ultimately we need to deal with ourselves and all of this will happen all of these things technology will increase um, it, we will be either obsessed or not obsessed with it, but if we don't look into ourselves to kind of make sure we're evolving emotionally and spiritually, if that's not the word or whatever it is. So I think a lot of what we're talking about is that we have to try to stay connected so that we do do things to save the planet and we do things to save each other um, to survive through this very, it, it's an incredible time, but it's also a, you know, a devastating time too. It can take us under, or it can lift us up, but we have to, we have to really go in 
to pull ourselves Wonderful. up. Um, and, I, and I think that all that we do to, to, to go into ourselves is really the most important. And just to bring it to closure, to lighten the loads for these kids, to your point, to your point, to lighten the load for the next generation by us doing our work so we don't pass it on to these kids. And it doesn't matter, I don't have kids. Doing my work makes it lighter for the generation. Everybody in this room, make it lighter for the next generation by doing the work. What's the work? Deal with some of your pain. Don't pass it on. So that part of it is really, that's one thing we can do. Whatever this other stuff is, it goes on, it doesn't go on. From my experience, yeah, we've been here a hundred times, it's eternal. But we have to really question these things and what is our role that we can do every day? Because we live in a culture that disempowers us all the time. I mean, don't forget, spirituality, this is the same culture. It took the beat movement and made it commercial. It neutralized it. It took the hippie movement, made it commercial, neutralized it. Took the punk movement, made it commercial, neutralized it. Took the hip-hop movement, neutralized it. And the spiritual movement. So, to your point, we all have that truth inside of us. Let it burn. Let it clear you. Any questions? Anybody have any questions? Yes. Let me just get him. Uh, there's a tale of Pandora's box that you're, that you're talking about. When you look at all the negative things are, are, are explode out and you have to deal with them all. I totally agree with that. But in the story, the tale of Pandora's box, the most wonderful thing was that hope and dreams were the things that kept humanity going. And, and I, I believe that. I believe you have to deal with all of that. The, the negatives, the, the hope and dreams will keep one on the positive path. I'm so with you on that one. As long as the hope and the dreams aren't hijacked by the ego to perpetuate the status quo. That's part of the hope and dream thing. You know? Not into politics. This whole Obama thing. Hope we can believe in. Change we can believe in. It's marketed in this culture. So what you're talking about on that genuine level, absolutely. But remember, you live in a culture where everything is marketed and it will... This culture has an energy that wants to perpetuate the status quo. It's not the friend of what you're talking about. I'm totally with you on that. So how do we keep that alive from the place that you're talking about and not as a way that's going to sell you Pepsi? That's the question. Elizabeth Raystein is probably the best astrologer in the world and we have her in our presence. And so I'm afraid to ask her a question because she is so low-key and hidden. But um, do you have a question for her? She's from an astrological... Tell us what's going on. What do you see? So what, what are your thoughts, what? Elizabeth? No? Another no, no, no. Trust me, she's brilliant. But I knew she would not want to do that. Yes. Was it um, part of this talk also? I saw the word vulnerability. Yeah, well, it's what we're it's what we're talking about. Well, we're we'll get to that. I'll get to you in one second. Just the vulnerability part. The vulnerability is all the things that we're talking about is to puff up the ego. So in order to not return that email because your heart says you shouldn't return that, that's being vulnerable. In order to be true to yourself, you have to be vulnerable. All our actions are to perpetuate this false self. All this talking, everything we do, that Facebook thing. That's not vulnerability. The vulnerability is actually to break that down and be like, I'm not everything, I can't be everything to everybody, I'm not feeling well, 
even though this is my path. That's vulnerability. And everything we do is to not be vulnerable. The one thing I can tell you is a shtick that everybody does. We do everything not to be vulnerable. We have to be brought down to our knees.